my privilege this morning to introduce our guest speaker. I met James back in about 1997. Um, for a time, he was the crusade director for Mario Murillo. And there were three years when we did our annual men's conference where we had Mario 95, 96, 97. And uh, James had called me, uh, introduced himself. And then he came to that conference and connected with Res Life. And God put on his heart shortly after that to really you know, moved to the Michigan area, and I think uh, this was home base for uh, him and his wife, Misty, for probably seven, eight years, somewhere around that time, and James has just been a blessing. Um, he's based now in uh, Carrollton, Texas, um, ministering and on staff at uh, Covenant Church, the men's pastor there, and he'll be sharing in his message some different things that he's involved with, but would you please give a warm welcome to Pastor James DeMello as he comes to minister, share God's word with us this morning. Thank you, Thanks, Tom. James. Thank you. Thank you, guys. It's so good to be back here and see some familiar faces. Uh, my friends Larry and John and Greg and so many others. Um, everybody looks the same. We just got a little bit less hair and a little, a little lighter hair, right? And... Uh, but it's just so good to everybody see Lance Brew and just the crew that was uh, the guys that I hung when I was here. I miss, I miss t- uh, uh, Michigan. I've been trying to get my wife to move back here. And she, I tell her, this, we got to get back to God's country. And, um, and she, I can't get her out of Texas, man. I, I took her out of Texas for 16 years, and she says, I'm not going out again. And so, uh, but I just love this place, love the people here, just... And love the hunger of men here. That, that's re- really, I've always had a passion and heart for men's ministry. Um, I got saved in 1984 and uh, through uh, a, a crazy Cajun guy named uh, Jesse Duplantis. And uh, that he, his hometown church was the church that I, I got saved at and uh, kind of um, started there, then went to California and then from California uh, with the power team and different ministries that I was part of. Moved back to Texas, met my wife, and then moved to uh, San Diego and then moved here. So God took me a really different route to get here and was here for about seven, eight years, as um, uh, Tom said, and loved it. And then God called me back to Dallas to, to pioneer a church. I was going to start a church. We started a Courageous Living Church. My wife and I started growing, and then Covenant um, asked us, to take over a campus that was struggling in Sherman, Texas, right on the border of northern Texas and uh, Oklahoma. And we pastored for years, got that church really healthy. I felt that God was calling me to focus on men's ministry. And so we turned over that church to another organization. Uh, Dwayne Sheriff and Victory Life took the church, and it's just exploded. And I've been back on uh, staff at Carrollton Covenant Church since uh, almost eight years now, and the ministry of men's ministry just went uh, international. It's exploded. We're in, we're in three different countries right now, or been asking us to uh, do what we do, and I'll talk a little bit about it. And uh, COVID kind of slowed that down. We have we're not been able to go to those countries, but Russia would not stop. I'll know Rick, Pastor Rick Renner. Uh, Rick Renner said, I don't care about COVID. I'm doing this by the internet. So Rick did the first virtual men's conference, I guess, in Russia's history, and uh, and it went viral. And I was speaking on there, spoke to, he said, 250,000 men. So I did all the messages for the conference. Plus, uh, they took my book, which I'll talk a little bit about it um, this morning. They took my book, The Andrizo Man, had it written in Russian, uh, it's been written in Spanish. It's being written in Portuguese right now for Brazil. Uh, it's quickly becoming a bestseller, and it's all God's glory because I was not expecting um, my writing skills to be what God has done. I'm telling you, there's gifts in us that we don't even know until we just release it to God. It's good to see Scott Heisen. Man, good to see you, my friend. That's my good friend. We've been all around the world together. And uh, him and Craig Malchon is here, and it's just my whole uh, crew of young sons and young lions and Larry and all these young guys. But, guys, I, I want to uh, take real advantage of the time we have. You guys have, have um, blessed me by being here this early, and uh, this, is, this is serious. When you get up this early to be with God, you're, 
you're, uh, you're serious about God, and you're chasing after him. And that's what I love. God says, if you draw near, I will draw near to you. If you, um, if you seek me, you shall find me. And guys, you're going to find him, and he's going to draw near to you. You took the first step, and that's all it takes. You take the first step towards him, and he comes running to you. Prodigal son is all about that. He'll come running to you. I want to also uh, introduce you really quick to my, uh, my partner in crime, um, Paul Pinecares, way in the back. He's by my book table back there. Paul works with me in my ministry there in Texas and around the country. And uh, he is a blessing of a guy. Um, uh, if you get to meet him, you've been blessed. He's, he's an incredible guy. And, of course, we got Chuck Cole here somewhere. Uh, there's Chuck. Chuck also uh, does ministry here with our ministry, uh, The Return, and does a great job. And, and some of you guys know him already. And Chuck Landscaping, uh, he's been around for a long time. Byron Center guy. Well, I want to talk to you about five keys to next level manhood. Pastor Duane and I were talking about manhood and ministry to men when he said, you need to, James, you know, James, you need to come back and speak at, at our reload. And so he called Tom and Tom called me and, um, and he's just been, pastor is a reader. He got me to be a reader. Pastor Duane used to say leaders are readers. And man, if you know Pastor Duane, he's always reading the book. And, uh, and I've been uh, really uh, you know, just really inspired by that discipline in him over the years. And so um, not only did I become a reader, I became an author. And that is something I never expected. Uh, but God will do that when you surrender everything to him. And he, he uh, asked me to talk a little bit about the book, but he also talked, wanted me to talk a little bit about ministry that we're doing. So I'm going to weave it into this message because we only have a few minutes with each other this morning. But I want to talk to you uh, about what I told uh, the admin here at Resurrection Life, five keys to the next level manhood. Five keys to next level manhood. How many of you want to go to the next level in your manhood? Anybody? We can't just settle. Listen, guys, discontent is a seed of change. Um, and you, you will never change what you tolerate. And we all need to change. The minute we stop changing, we, uh, we, we stop growing as a man. You always want to grow. You need to write that down. Discontent is the seed of change. You need to get, there's a holy discontentment that we always need to embrace, a holy dissatisfaction. Moses had to all the great men. Look at Moses in chapter 33. He's, this, he's, he's done amazing things. He toppled over the greatest army in the world, but yet he's in that chapter asking God, if I have found favor in your sight. <laughs> like, what are you talking about, Moses? You just... You just beat Egypt. You just deliver these people. You just split the Red Sea if you found favor. Where's the question here? But he's hungry, and he says, Father, let me know you. Use the word yada in Hebrew, which means to know you deeply, more progressively, more intimately. Moses was never satisfied where he was at. He was always wanting to grow, and that's the power. That's the seed of change, and that's what I want to help you with because we always need to be growing. I want to kind of give you what I call a dashboard of gauges of mature manhood, kind of something you can gauge your life at. Well, this is where I am, because maturity is not about age. It's about responsibility. And so some of y'all need to be writing that down. Ed Coe used to tell me, one of my late mentors used to say, a short pencil is better than a long memory, James. He goes, you need to be writing while I'm talking. And I am so glad that I did write when he talked, because I cannot speak without him and his powerful wisdom coming out of me, because I wrote it down. I didn't just listen to it, I wrote it down. I got to the point where I was recording those little tapes, remember? I was recording every time I sat down with him for breakfast or lunch or went and prayed with him. I recorded whenever he spoke, and I still have those little tapes that I used to listen to and put it in my journal. A lot of my, when I went to write, the, the gift that I didn't even know as an author was in me because of what Ed Cole taught me. And a lot of what uh, came out when I went to write was what he put into me. And so... Get to a, to a habit of writing, because I'm going to talk to you about what I call the blueprint of authentic and distinctive manhood. I say authentic because there's a counterfeit out there, guys. There's a counterfeit of manhood. There's a redefining of manhood that is totally in conflict and totally different than what God created us for. And I say distinctive because it is rare. This kind of manhood that I'm talking about in the five keys I'm going to give you 
It will transform your life. It really will. It will transform your marriage. It will transform your business. Uh, it will transform your manhood if you embrace it. And I'm telling you, your future right now will be determined by how you embrace the message you're about to hear. You say, well, that, that's, pretty, uh, that's pretty confident and cocky of you to say that. No, that's how much I believe in the Word of God. The Word of God can transform your future. But you need to embrace it. And you need to apply it. Hearers and doers, right, the Bible says. Not just hearers, but doers. And so I went to God years ago and I said, Lord, I don't have to go anywhere else to know how man should be defined. You created us in your image. And there's no one that knows more the blueprint of true, authentic manhood than you. So I spent time in our ranch there in Texas. We have a ranch that I run and I do all our, re- our retreats and our men's uh, uh, conferences and everything we do and training at this ranch. And I prayed and I fasted and I sought God for this blueprint that I'm about to give you. And he led me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, uh, of first 16, excuse me, of 1 Corinthians, two verses, 13 and 14, that I'm going to just kind of touch on this morning. And he gave me some virtues in there. When I read the Bible, God, when he's trying to get keys, virtues uh, into my life, he starts giving me lists. Any guys like that? He starts showing me a list of virtues or principles, if whatever you want to call it. And these are five, what I've titled, magnificent virtues of manhood. Y'all remember this, the, the, the movie Magnificent Seven? Anybody, anybody, they had a new one with Denzel Washington, it was pretty cool, they added an Indian to the group, but the old one, man, with, you know, Hugh Brenner and Charles Bronson, Steve McQueen, that was my favorite, right? The Magnificent Seven, this is the Magnificent Five, these virtues, guys, will change your life, and I hope you embrace it. So here it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14, I'm reading it out of the Amplified um, Bible. Now, remember my question to God. God, what is the blueprint to authentic and distinctive manhood? In other words, what are the keys to next level manhood? In your eyes. I know what the world says a man is, but what is a man in your eyes? So here's where he leads me, and you're going to see why it caught my attention. Be alert and on your guard. Stand firm in your faith and act like men. And be courageous. Grow in strength and let everything you do be done in love. Right there in this heart of those two scriptures, you see the statement, act like men. When I read that, I go, oh, okay. <laughs> this is exactly what I'm, I'm looking for. He goes, yeah. So now I'm going to show you how to act like a man. One translation, you may be reading it right now, it says, prove yourself as a man. Uh, sometimes I wish I would have written that title on my book because most guys don't know what Andrizo means. You're going to find out what Andrizo means when we get through with this session together. Because Andrizo is a powerful Greek word that Paul only used one time. And it's so powerful, it's become the mantra, it's become the the message of our ministry around the world. Um, And so, he says, act like men. There was a challenge with that to Paul when he was writing this, because those men had no idea what a man should act like. And that's why Paul is addressing them. And so to really understand this uh, text, these two scriptures, i got to give you a little content. i got to give you a little background of what Paul is going through and why he's writing these letters. Remember, Paul is an apostle. He's a spiritual father. He's, he pioneers churches, and he moves on, puts a pastor over him, goes to the next city. Paul is writing this letter to the city of Corinth where he started a church. He's in Ephesus now, about, two, about 200 miles away, and uh, 2,000 miles away, and he's writing back to them because he's hearing stories about um, them going through uh, some immaturity in the church. The men are acting immature. Things are happening in the church that is, uh, that is not true manhood. One man sleeping with his stepmother. In chapter 5 of, of, of 1 Corinthians, you read that. And um, he's sleeping with his stepmother, and he is going to church like there's nothing. 
And the leaders are not, they're not addressing them. They're not confronting them. So Paul is hearing all this. He's keeping tabs on his church as travelers come by. And he says, uh, no, nah, this, is, this is not right. And he starts writing these letters. So he's telling them how to act like men. But you've got to understand about Corinth. Corinth is a massive melting pot of nationalities, of, of intellectualism, of religions. It, it's a port city. Kind of like where I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana. It's a port city. where I, grew, I was born in Brooklyn, New York, another port city. My dad was a seaman. He worked on the docks. So we, we moved from port to port. And so I understand port cities. And one of the things I understand about port cities, it's a big party city like New Orleans. And every port city has the immorality. This, this city was no different. The, the, the immorality in this city was inconceivable, guys. The, the riotous living, the, the brawling, the, the drunkenness the, it was so known that even the Romans and the Greeks looked down at Corinthian men. Matter of fact, when the Romans would do their plays, they were really into plays and entertainment, they would always hire a Corinthian man to play the drunkard or the immoral person in the, in the play. They, these Pagan societies like Rome, Romans and, and Greeks looked down at Corinthian guys because that was how bad it was. Sex, the, the, the immorality there and the sex was everywhere. Brothels and bathhouses were homosexual hot spots. It was, it was everywhere. You'd get up in the morning and before you get to wherever you need to work or go to school, whatever, you would cross hundreds of brothels. Every corner had brothels. Every man's fantasy was there for sex, for sex and anything they wanted there, every drug, every, everything they wanted, every pleasure they wanted was in this city. They said that next to Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction, Corinth was the wickedest city ever in history. That's how bad this city was. So can you imagine the kind of broken culture that created uh, in men? The kind of dysfunction that men were in? Most of them didn't have fathers because the fathers were in living and immoral lives and so men were born you know birth out of marriage and and out of wedlock and stuff like that and so these men didn't have fathers as examples in them and if they did have fathers they were immoral themselves so you can understand why Paul is writing this letter matter of fact when Paul first walked into that city uh the the if you study it deeper you'll find that as he and I've been there when you walk into Ephesus where he's writing this to them I saw some of it. Just in Ephesus. Now, Corinth was 10 times worse. And, and he's, th- when he walked into that city for the first time, there was a corridor of statues that were what we would call today a, a, a pornography of statues. Because they were all carved into, w- most of them in women's bodies, completely detailed and painted. And it was just statues. We know it as Mars Hill. Statues they walked by. That's one of them he pointed. There was a statue with no name. It said a God of no name. These were all very sexually designed statues. And Paul is walking through this city and he's thinking, I'm going to build a church right here. In the midst of this immoral junk crap of the enemy, I'm going to build a, a church. And he did. Powerful one. But they had issues like men. Have issues. Look at your neighbor and says, that sounds like a man. Come on, somebody. It sounds like a man. We got issues, right? So he's writing to them, and he is trying to help them understand what a real man is. Because they're mixing the world with the church. He just can't. And so pornography is just everywhere in their, in their you know, sense of pornography then, just like it is now. And the, and the enemy is utilizing our visual uh, a gift that God has given us. God, we're visual men. That's why we get stimulated when we see our wives naked, right? Because we're visual men. If you don't, I'll pray for you at the end of this service, right? Okay? I'll pray for you. But, but we get stimulated by that because we're visual men. That's what the enemy knows that. Because our eyes are made for vision of God. It's made to do things on this earth for the kingdom of God. The enemy uses it, twists it, like he did Corinth, and he starts to diminish our manhood. And so we need to know how to counter that. So God gave me five key virtues in here that, man, it will help you. It will bless you. Are you ready for them? 
Um, I put them into C's uh, and because it's easier for you to remember. <laughs> remember, I'm a man. I want to remember things. And so I put them into C's, and, and then I'll, I'll show you in the Greek why they are the exact definition of what the Greek talks about in this chapter. The first one is be a man of circumspection, men of circumspection. If you don't get this and you can't keep up with my, how fast I'm talking, it's in my book. I expound on it in here. And this is the second edition, so I even have stories of men in here that overcome things that maybe you have, tr- you have battled with. So this book will have more of the details. So what you can write, write. And if not, grab a book. If you can't get enough, if we run out today, we can go online. Amazon carries it. Barnes & Noble carries it. You can find a book. But be a man of circumspection. Here's how we translate the word here in Greek. We take six words to translate just one word in the Greek. Be alert and on your guard, the Amplified says. But what it's talking about is circumspection. What is circumspection? Why do I use that word? Another word for it is vigilance, right? Vigilance. You might have a translation that uses that term, vigilance. And circumspection is basically having a 360 view of your life. Paul is saying if you're going to be a man, you have to be circumspection. You have to be circumspect about your life. You have to be having a personal uh, 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 inventory of your life all the time. A personal audit of your heart all the time. you got to be aware. I was in the police force in Louisiana before I got into ministry. And as a policeman there, one of the things they taught us in the academy is what they, what they call circum, uh, circumstance, situational um, circumstances. you got to look at and be cert- situationally aware of when you walk into a setting. You don't just walk in there blind. Be aware of what's going on. Watch people's hands. Watch what's behind, you know, cars. You've got to always be circum- circumstantially aware or situationally aware of what's going on. Or you can walk into a situation and get shot, right? Does that make sense? Paul is talking about the same thing in the Greek. I use circumspection because I like the word circum. It's two compound words. Circum means circle or, or circumference is where we get that word from. It means to be, have something to be viewing around you. And then it's got the word spectrum. Spect means to inspect. That's where we get the word inspection from. It means to inspect, to look. Circum is always aware, always vigilant. Looking at your life, looking at your heart, looking at your children's hearts, always being aware of what's happening around. Why is that so important? Because I'm a man. We can get so distracted. We can get so focused on work that we, we lose our families in the process. We work hard for our love for our family to put a roof over their head, a food on their table, clothes on their back. But then they don't want to have nothing to do with God or nothing to do with us. Because we've worked. Cat in the cradle, right? Story. We worked so hard, we lost circumspection. We lost our family. Years ago, the Lord said, James, you're winning the world to Christ, but you're losing your family. And it rocked me to my core. And I said, no, I am not going to lose my family. People wonder, why did you leave Michigan? Because I was so focused on doing the work of the Lord, I was forgetting the Lord of the work. And I said, that will not happen. Not on my watch. Not on the... Andrezo man here, not on the, the level God wants me to bring me. I need to have circumspection of my family. And today, my daughter, my middle daughter, my first daughter graduated from Hillsong, is now a pastor on Hillsong staff in Sydney. My second daughter, and all these guys know my daughters, my second daughter, Kaylee, just graduated from Oral Roberts at Summa Cum Laude in top of her class. And, and, and this didn't happen by accident. My kids are not doing the, the, the things of God that they're doing today. And all of them are in ministry be, by, by osmosis. Because if I had left them alone, I would have lost them. But circumspection is a man that says, not on my watch. He puts his back to the wall and says, not on my watch. I'm going to keep guard. I'm going to keep uh, being a centennial of my family, essential, uh, essential uh, uh, situational awareness of my family all the time. I can't tell you how many times the enemy tried to come and take my kids out with, with depression and oppression. And I had to step in through prayer. And then I had to step in through moments of heart talks with them and hard talks. But heart talks with love. 
And today my kids are in their, in their mid-20s and still holding my hand when we get in the car and say, Daddy, Daddy, 25, calling me Daddy. It doesn't happen by accident, guys. It happens through circumspection. It happens through understanding. Proverbs 22, 5 says, In the path of the wicked lie thorns and snares, but he who guards his soul stays far from them. Circumspection keeps you far from the thorns and the thistles of life and the, and the, and the entanglements of sin. Circumspection puts men around you. 3D men, I call them in my book. 3D men are men that say, how you doing, Tom? And you go, I'm doing great, like most men do. And then they look at you, like Paulie do. He's famous for this. He'll look at you, he goes, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing awesome. How you really doing? 3D friends, they go beyond just the surface. They go deep into your heart and they ask you. If I didn't have those men around my life, I would not have survived. Not have survived. And will not survive. 3D men. That's circumspection. Guys, Adam alone, if, if he had kept this, this virtue, just this one, only this one, not even counting the other four, if Adam would have kept circumspection, vigilance in his life, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in right now. Because Adam had the responsibility of, remember, taking care of the garden and taking care of Eve. And when, when, this, when the serpent came and deceived Eve, Adam was not somewhere off in the back field of, of the uh, garden. He was standing right next to, to Eve, Eden, right next to her, right next to Eve at Eden, and didn't do anything about it. The Bible says she turned to him. It means he's sitting there listening and didn't do anything about it. You know, I come from Cajun land, and we say this, if Adam was a Cajun, we wouldn't be in the trouble we'd be in because he would have stumped that snake and ate it. Come on, somebody. Cajuns eat anything, if y'all know what I'm talking about. He would say, hey, do, hey, Bujo, that's a good snake there, yeah. Boom, grab that snake and snap this little neck, right? But Adam sat there and let the enemy deceive his wife and then was deceived himself. If he would have kept circumspection alone, guys, we wouldn't be in the mess. Peter mentions this in virtue, this virtue in 1 Peter 5.8. He says, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the enemy, is like a roaring lion looking for who he can devour. He uses the word vigilant, the exact same word Paul uses. Now you got Paul and Peter talking about the same thing. How many of y'all think we need to listen? These were great men, just like us, struggled with issues, but they learned a next level manhood because they learned how to walk as Christ walked. So circumspection, just look at your friends, say, circumspection, bro. And then punch him. You didn't see that coming. Come on, just punch him. You didn't see that coming, right? You got to work on circumspection. <laughs> The second, the second virtue is men of conviction. Men of conviction. Here's how the Amplified says it. Stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in your faith. Men of conviction. Why is that word so important? The word there in Greek is pistis, and it's translated faith. Maybe your translation says stand firm in your faith, like Amplified says. But pistis is more than just faith. The message actually gets closer to the original Greek. It says, stand strong in your conviction. And that's important because Echo used to say this, beliefs are argumental. You can argue about beliefs, but convictions you die for. What, you're, what you have convictions in, you are so sold on it, you die for it. And we got to be men of strong convictions. Oh, my gosh, we need convictions today. We need men that say, you know what, I, I just can't do that. I, I've... I've I've worked with men where they, they say, James, but it, you know, I, I, I feel like God has told me to do this. And I said, guys, if it doesn't align with the word, it doesn't, it doesn't fly with me. You, you show me in the word and I'll, I will go there, but it's not in the word. And my conviction is in the word. I live by the word. The word convicts me. Come on, that's why a lot of people don't like reading the word of God. Because the word of God reads you more than, it reads, than you read it. Oh, somebody needed to get that. <laughs> but what did he say? What he said about the, the word will convict you. Why? Because conviction is not condemnation, right? Conviction leads to repentance. And repentance leads to change. True repentance leads to change. And guys, we got to change. We got to change. When I hear men in their pride, and I've been there, guys, say, you know, it's just, it's just the way it is, man. You just got to accept me the way I am. I go, bro, I love you the way you are, just like Christ, but I love you too much to leave you that way. Because if Christ had left me the way I was, 
And if I had caught my attitude with my wife that, uh, baby, you just go, that's just the way I am. That's the way my dad was, the way I am. My wife, we would not be married 33 years. <laughs> We'd have never made it, right? I got to change. And so conviction is important. Convictions always grow stronger, Ed Coe used to say. Again, something I wrote. Ain't y'all glad I wrote some things because now I can give it to you. He said convictions grow stronger under pressure. Men who live by preferences, Ed Coe said, Preferences is something you just prefer, you like. You know, I prefer uh, a Ford over a Chevy. I know you Chevy guys just got mad, but I do. I like Fords, right? It's just a preference. It isn't one car better than the other. It's just my preference. But, but a conviction is like, hey, I'm, this, is my, this is it, right? Uh, this is the only car in the world, right? <laughs> That's a deep conviction, right? A conviction goes stronger under pressure. A preferences goes weaker under pressure. Preferences are negotiable. Convictions are non-negotiable. Convictions are non-negotiable. Some of y'all need to write that down. Convictions are non-negotiable. It's so important to live as a man of conviction. Peter, again, Paul and Peter, some of my two favorite characters in Scripture, men, a man's kind of man. Guys, they went through a lot to serve God, right? He said this about our faith, our convictions, and how, what supports it. Watch this. I love this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. But also for this reason, give all diligence, add to your faith, here's what most translations say, virtue. Virtue. The word virtue is a powerful word in the Greek. It's the word arete. If you study uh, uh, warrior societies like I do, it's a, it's a habit of mine. I love studying about warriors. We have a whole camp built around the warrior spirit called the awakening. It's the next level of the return, which I'll tell you a little bit about in a second. But the arete was the, was the key virtue of the Spartans. They lived the, the, the arete life. And the arete is a life of convictions, a life of virtues, of, of maxims, of, of uh, principles that they lived by. Paul is using this because the word arete also is the word manliness, manliness. And Paul says here, or Peter, sorry, Peter says here, gird up, support your faith with arete. And that word is manliness. Support your faith with manliness. Now, what kind of manliness is Peter talking about? He's talking about the God kind of manliness, right? The, the God kind of convictions here. The God kind of values, not this manliness that the world is redefining, right? Not this toxic uh, masculinity that they're trying to teach in our, in our universities now to our kids, right? Which is ridiculous. There's no such thing as toxic masculinity. There's toxic immature men, right? Because we need masculinity. We need, Jesus was a masculine man. Have y'all seen the movies Ch uh, Chosen's? The series chosen, great. That's the best depiction of Christ I've seen in a long time. I love it because he's a man, right? I can't wait till they do the one on the uh, clearing of the temple. I want to see him whip some guys. Come on, somebody. Sometimes I want to whip some guys, right, as a pastor. But he, he talks about how to gird up your faith, and it takes manliness. It takes a God man in you to rise up and say, I'm not going to put up with this. I'm not going to let this happen, right? And so we see the power of our manliness, our conviction. Everything is, our convictions are all intertwined with our manliness. But our manliness must be in the God uh, a zone, not in this world zone, right? I had a manliness about me before, but it was a macho, you know, it was a machismo, which was all jacked up. It was full of pride. But I didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater when I became a Christian, I realized there was a manliness. I just had, I had bought into the wrong one, right? And now I know it's a man who lives by circumspection, a man who lives by uh, convictions. And watch this. And a man who lives by courage is the next one. Courage. Act like men and be courageous. Act like men and be courageous. Boy, I'm running out of time, so I'm going to rush through this. It takes another six words to convey to us what one Greek word Paul used, and he used the word andrizo. Here's where he used the word andrizo. 
Andrizo means to be brave, to be courageous, to be uh, a man of, of strength, right? Uh, a man of character. But here, courage, guys. Oh, my gosh. Do we need courage today? We need courage today. We have such a spirit of cowardice in America right now. People are afraid to say things even from the pulpit because they're afraid of being misconstrued or the media tearing them up. I, we need courage in our politics. Come on, somebody needs to say amen. We need courageous politicians. We need people who stand up for truth, for what's right. Courage is one of the greatest virtues right now needed in America. Just be courageous, man. Stand up for what is true. And that is what Paul is talking about here. Be men of courage, right? Winston Churchill said this, courage is the first of human qualities because it is the one that guarantees all others. Courage. Courage. So Paul tells us, be men of courage. Courage is not a suggestion. Do y'all know God? God doesn't suggest us to be courage. Read Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 1. Four times in that chapter, he tells Joshua, be courageous and be strong. Did I not tell you, be strong and very courageous. And he commands him. He says, I commanded you to be strong and courageous. It's a command right up there with thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt be courageous. We need to know that because courage is needed. Nothing happens until we're courageous enough to make a, a difference and change. And so look at your neighbor and say, be courageous. Be courageous. Great stories in the book. I talk about Polycarp, a man in the second century who was a man that, that changed uh, the, the, the projection of Christianity by his own life, laying down his life, a man of courage. Uh, I, I talk about the great uh, bishops of Oxford, uh, Hugh Latimer and, 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 and Nicholas Ridley, about these guys, how they gave their life for the gospel to be written in, in, in common man's language. Men who live by this word, Andrizo, men who live by courageous lives, who lay down their lives for what we have today, and we take such gr for granted the word. These men were men who lived that. I have all their stories in here. It will excite your life because you are that man today. You are that Andrizo man today that God is trying to, to raise up. Amen. And that's, that's what, what this is all about, guys. It's about living the life that God, the next level of your manhood. And number four, men of character. Men of character. So you got men of circumspection. You got men of conviction. You got men of courage. These are all the virtues in these two scriptures that Paul is teaching about how to act like a man. And then he goes in and he says, be a man of character. He uses the word strength here. And when I first read the word strength, grow in your strength, I think of physical strength because that's my background. I was an ex-bodybuiler at the pro level and about to uh, really uh, explode in the, in the world of, of bodybuilding in the 80s. There was not hardly any magazine you wouldn't find me in. Um, and you could still Google me and see uh, my young 20 body that I look back and I go, gosh, I peaked early, you know. That's what sucks about be, being that built that young. This is all downhill after that, right? But uh, I, uh, you know, being in that strength world, when I hear the word strength, I go there. Oh, yeah, be strong. And that's good to be strong. I, I you know, I, I launched and pioneered the, the team, the Conquerors, that Mike Benson today has. I started that. I was the founder of that ministry on strength feats. So when I read this, I went there with the physical. But God says, James, this is not just physical. And I started digging deeper. And it's the strength of character. Because, guys, here's the deal. And some of you need to write this down. Talent may get you there. This world will promote talent. But only character will keep you there. My talent got me to Venice Beach, the mecca of bodybuilding of the time. My talent got me working out where Arnold and Lou Ferrigno were made famous. My talent got me the job at Gold's Gym, the most famous gym in the world at that time. My talent got me on the magazines and, and Mr. America and all those things that I competed in. But my character was not there, and my talent was not enough, and I imploded and lost my young marriage and got, went through such a depression that I almost took my own life. It's all in my book, the story of how I sat on the beach with a gun in my hand, pulled the trigger back, put it to my temple, and was going to end it all. And how God pulled me through that because 
Character. Character. I started realizing I needed character. I started realizing that God is full of men on this earth that have embraced living a life of character that would pour into me. This, this, this virtue here is about strength of character that, look, that literally pours into others. It's a discipling word. It's a mentoring word. If you guys knew me when I was here and some of my own men are here that I poured into, these men are still serving the Lord. I'm so proud of, of Scott and Greg with, with Dream Center and Larry, how great he's doing today with his family and John. All these guys are guys I poured into. Why? Because I learned this, guys. As God pours into me his character through his word, that I need to pour into others. That's what it's all about. It's all about pouring into others, reaching others, ministering to others. As you minister, God ministers to you. And it's a dynamic tension. As I was pulling men up to where I was, other men were believing in me and pulling me up like Pastor Duane. And I had this dynamic tension. So when I was alone and traveling and ministering in Brazil in these exotic countries, right, walking the beaches of Copacabana and Rio, and I'm walking back to my hotel room, and a prostitute um, approaches me and says, hey, baby, you want some company tonight? I had to think of the men, the men here back in Michigan that believed in me, that I was pulling up to a level of, of manhood that I believed that God wanted us to be. And men who believed in me was pulling me up. And that tension in that moment when nobody would knew and the enemy would whisper in my ears, nobody will know, James. I would say, yes, but the strength of my character will know. And that character is Christ. Because manhood and Christ-likeness is synonymous. You can't separate them, guys. And so next level of manhood is to be what Christ was. And so it kept me. It kept me from doing the things that my old stupid self would have. I used to call him Stupid Jimmy. That was my nickname growing up, Jimmy. I will not listen to Stupid Jimmy. Amen? But there's so much in here, we don't have the time, uh, about the strength of character. But it is what you are when no one is around. Character is what you are in the dark. Amen? There's stories of here of David, King David in 1 Kings chapter 2, doing the very thing with his son, giving him strength of character. And he uses an ancient word, kazak, which is the Greek Septuagint version of Andrizo. 400 times you find the word in the Septuagint Greek translation of the Old Testament, Andrizo's in there. And it's about pouring in, pouring in, strength of character. Finally, the last virtue, men of compassion. Men of compassion. Let everything you do, he says in verse 14, uh, or 13 and 14, yes, be done in love. He uses the word agape. Y'all have been around church. You know the word agape. It's a strong kind of love. It's an, a charity kind of love. It's a compassion kind of love. If y'all noticed that every time Jesus moved in miracles, the Bible says that he, moved by, he was moved by compassion. It, it's no surprise to me that Paul bookends these virtues of how to act like a man with circumspection and love, compassion. You know why? Because both of them take selflessness. Both of them takes putting someone above yourself. And that's some of the hardest things for men to do. And I can just tell you guys, love is what it's all about. Love is what Jesus is all about. The whole Samaritan purse was because of a question a guy said, how do I... How do I get to heaven? And he says, uh, how, how do you think you get to heaven? And what do you think is the greatest commandment? And he says, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor. He goes, yeah. And he goes, and that's when he went into the Samaritan story. He says, let me give you an example. It was all about the question of love that started that story. Love was the hardest of, of these virtues for me to understand. And you're like, why? Because I didn't have love modeled at my home. My father was a man of lust. He cheated on my wife all the time and bragged to us boys about it. I knew how to lust women. I didn't know how to love my wife. My father was a brawler, a fighter, a drinker. So guess what I became? A brawler, a drinker, a fighter. So you looked at me, turned your other cheek. The way I, the way I interpreted that, I turned your cheek. Come on, you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. You just look at me, I would hit you. That was, my, that was me, full of anger, full of anger, because I didn't understand love. And then God comes into my life 
changes my heart, and I have to start to untangle all these things that had defined my manhood. How to fight was in my neighborhood. You had to be a man. You had to fight. You had to be a man. You had to have women, you know, and, and all of that had to start to get revamped, and I had to start to learn how to love. God, the first time I had to walk away from a fight as a Christian, it, it, I, I almost had a heart attack just to walk away from the fight. I was so bound with, with wanting to, f- I remember a guy running, kind of like cutting me off in traffic, and I'm, just, I'm about two years old in the Lord, and this guy starts, you know, I'm mad already because he cut me off and almost caused me a wreck, but then he starts cussing me out. I, walk, I drive up to him, I go, dude, what's your problem? And he starts flipping me to birds, starts cussing me out. Then he says, pull over. Now, I'm 270 pounds at the time. And I, he can't see me. I'm like a Scott. Scott was one of the biggest guys I've ever known. He, I'm like Mike Benson from here down. They don't even know. And I'm pulling over with a smile on my face saying, I get to pound somebody today. And God says, you keep going. And I said, wait, Lord, I just want to show him. Just give him a lesson. You know? The Lord says, no, you need to keep going. James, if you can't walk away from this that has no threat in your life, he says, you ain't going to be able to walk away from other things in your life you got to learn to walk in love here and just walk, just go, keep on. It took me miles before my white knuckles let go of the steering wheel and I relaxed because I didn't understand love. And I really didn't understand love with my wife and my kids. I was way too harsh on my kids, way too hard, way too disciplined, way too anal about neatness. I remember yelling at my little one about getting you know, M&M chocolate all over my remote and then putting her little finger Cheezo, Cheeto prints all over my new flat screen TV, right? Yelling at her over that. Guys, I now wish I could have Cheeto prints on my little screen. I wish I could have chocolate on my, on my little remote. They're all grown up women now. I'm looking forward to my grandkids now. I'm going to let them get chocolate all over the place because I realize about love and how stupid those little things were. They grew up so quick. I see these young men that I raise up. I said, oh, cherish these moments. Pay attention to that little girl. You say something about her dress. You make a big deal about her barrettes in her hair. You let her put makeup on your face. You play tea cup with her. You do those things because she is looking at you for a man. And that's why my kids are all marrying great men, because I tried to model that the best I could. I messed up sometimes, but there's a great, great statement for kids. I'm sorry, honey. I'm sorry, son. Forgive me. But guys, love. Went to my wife. I had a man up. After one of these retreats that we do, I realized I hadn't manned up at home. Went to my wife, sat down with her in front of all my kids, washed her feet in front of my kids when they were little, I said, baby, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the times you wanted to talk and I just, was, just didn't want to deal with it. Sorry for the times that I was selfish and went hunting instead of spending time with you when you needed me. Times you asked me to go to the grocery store and I just didn't want to do it. Or go, oh, God forbid, go to the, gr- go to the mall to, 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 to uh, shop with you, right? That was like dying for me, right? <laughs> times that you just needed me and I just didn't want to deal with it. Forgive me. I had to learn to love her the way Christ loved me. And guys, I hope these virtues help. And like I said, I went through it quickly. It's in the book. Grab the book. Bless your life and bless others with it. But listen as I close this. We have a venue that I want to invite you to, a venue that Tom has been through, a venue that a lot of these men have been through, um, that you can go and learn more about what it takes to be a man Learn more about your heart. Learn more of how to unpack the things in your life that have, that have held you from going to the next level of manhood. It's a safe place. It's a place made for men by men. The place where Christ is the blueprint. And we just press men through that, through that f- screen of print. And men come out on the other side beautiful. It's a place we want to invite you. It's one that Chuck Cole does here at Big Rapids and Paul Rosinski does in, uh, there in Nuego and, and James Sonic does there in Battle Creek and several churches in this area have taken it and, and Mike uh, Popenhagen has it now and, and now it's in seven states and growing every year, growing and growing. You can co- come to Texas if you want to just get away from Michigan. 
uh, Texas, we have our camp there. Every month we do this. Over, over close to 7,000 men have been through it. And men, we, we invite you to it. Pastor Duane embraces it. It's powerful. It's three days with God that you'll never be the same. And you can find out about that talking to Chuck and any of the men here that have been through it. Uh, we have one this week called The Hero's Return, which is designed for our vets and our first responders, policemen like me, who deal with life and death traumas that are makes it just changes your life we tell vets all the time you're not damaged you're just different you've experienced things that most men don't and uh, and pts is real i have i realize that i have pts from my accident in 98 some of you know that every time i hear a a, sh- a, a, sh- a certain type of sound of a brakes of a truck or hear a squeal of a car i flash back to that moment that semi hit me just not too far from here in Lake City, Michigan. So I had to work through that. And, uh, and that's what the Heroes Return does. And so I want to invite you to that. You can find out more about it talking to Polly in the back or Chuck or any of the men here that are involved. Lance Brew, and I see some other faces here, and they'll help you. But get involved. It's, it's a ministry that was birthed out of a church, and it's a ministry that blesses the church. Amen? And so I want to encourage you. Can I pray with you guys? Lord, I ask you, Father, as these virtues were expanded on, Lord, from your word, that, Lord, it will take root in our hearts. And that, Father, we will not just be hearers but doers. That we will take these five virtues that are just the beginning of, of our next level manhood, Father. That we be men of circumspection, men of conviction, men of courage, men of compassion, and men, Lord God, that, that, Father, are men of character. I thank you, Father. That, Father, we can, we can change. I ask that you help us learn how to walk in this virtue, Father, of your manhood. To act like real men. So that the world can see what it really is to be a man. And not this counterfeit. God, I help you. Lord, I ask you to help men here, Father. Not be, feel uh, uh, condemned, but Lord, a conviction that, Father, that leads us to repentance. That leads us to freedom, Father. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you, men. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance, that means his favor upon you, and give you peace. And may he cover you with that precious name the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus. God bless you. Thank you for listening.